0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we are here with Dr. Sharon Ofarb, who insists that I call her Sharon, who on the one-year anniversary of This Is Our Shot, will be discussing vaccine hesitancy and her experiences not only with dealing with vaccine hesitancy, but also with evangelizing the importance of vaccines throughout not just the California area, but the country. And with that, I'd like to welcome Sharon. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, Sharon, tell us a little bit about This Is Our Shot, being the one-year anniversary, and what, it, what the impact has had been for the country in general on this initiative.
1: Well, I think you know many people, and especially people who work in the medical field, when we saw what was happening with this pandemic, it was incredibly heartbreaking. And a little bit frustrating because at first there was nothing we could really do about it. We were trying to figure it out. And um, wherever I, I was working clinically, academically, there was a huge impact by, by this pandemic. And um, when the vaccine came along, everyone was thrilled. And we thought, here is finally an answer and a way out. And then we had the second pandemic in my mind of misinformation and disinformation, where all of a sudden it's like, we have something that could really help. And many people are choosing not to do it because they're not believing science. They're not believing, um, you know, the sort of the miracle of this vaccine. And, um, and it was really being um, perpetuated in social media. So a bunch of very smart physicians decided that they would launch a campaign using social media with the most trusted messengers which are your own doctors your own nurses your own health providers and kind of try to tell tell the truth about the vaccine and answer to the misgivings and you know it's not wrong to feel confused or have misgivings but um, you know to not look at science and and use that as a guiding principle is is kind of a problem and we could really see the effects of this um, pandemic getting worse because so many people were deciding not to take the vaccine. So this is our shot started and we you know, hit every kind of social media platform you could think of. Um, and we ended up having, I think at this point over 2 billion
0: wow. touches
1: through social media. And um, we just grew and grew and grew and it was really a bunch of people volunteering their time and their hearts and their energy to try to be effective at this terrible time.
0: Uh, Certainly, and I want to talk more about the This is Our Shot initiative and what made it very successful. But I want to touch back on a point you had mentioned where you said people were thrilled when the vaccine first came out. But subsequently, there was a certain hesitancy. Can you talk about your experience in dealing with this initial acceptance, this initial euphoria, and watching it degrade into something completely opposite of that, Explain to us how that played out and why you think it played out that way.
1: Well, you know, I have always loved um, studying medical history and I have looked at the history of vaccines and, um, you know, I I come from the generation where our parents, you know, actually would get polio and I have friends Mm. whose parents are in wheelchairs. So we have seen, you know, devastating diseases and often there's no answer in cures. There's only answer in prevention. So you know i am a big believer in the miracle of all vaccines and my three children are fully vaccinated i am fully vaccinated you know as i get older it just feels like an amazing thing and it's not that a vaccine doesn't have some side effects and it's not even that the vaccine sometimes doesn't really hurt people or even kill them but it's a minuscule compared to to what what effects it has and i think one of the most Heartbreaking things I ever saw as a nursing student was a little boy who died from measles, and uh, you know, went into febrile seizures, became brain dead and unresponsive. And you know, when you see a two-year-old die from measles, and you know that the vaccine of measles is miraculous, um, you know, it 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 kind of makes you feel like that's the way to go. So um, you know, I don't I don't buy into some of that misinformation that this is a new untested vaccine, the mRNA technology has been studied for over 20 years. And indeed, you know, sort of the the FDA, you know, coming on board seemed quick to people, but we really ramped up the resources and the money to, to make this happen a little bit faster because we knew lives were at stake. It's not that corners were cut or things were done out of sequence. And um, so I didn't ever feel like this was a questionable um. You know, option for people. I thought it was a fine option to take. And, you know, I had um, students, um, nursing students who had a lot of hesitancy. I had um, patients I work with, with unhoused who um, have substance use disorder who had a lot of hesitancy. And um, I found that if I could spend a little time talking one on one and answering their questions and answering their sort of emotional fears around it and saying like I've gotten the vaccine, my children have gotten the vaccine. I joke that you know your mom's a nurse that on your 12th birthday you get a vaccine because on the 12th birthday of my youngest, I took him for a vaccine. Um, That I think when people saw that, I had more buy-in. And in, in fact, that's what started This Is Our Shot. We took pictures of ourselves getting vaccinated. I had nursing students who are pregnant getting vaccinated. I had nursing students who are nursing new babies getting vaccinated. Um, you know, we got all hands on deck and it was almost, it really felt like a lot of magic. The energy around this movement was so powerful and so strong. And we developed such a great community and it's a community because we love our patients and we love the communities we come from and we want to see people well.
0: Yeah, there is a certain sincerity to this is our shot initiative from the top to the bottom to really everybody involved. And perhaps that's part of your success. But I also think effective communication has been a big part of why you guys have been so successful. Can you explain what mass media, what the federal government in many ways got wrong about communication and what you guys figured out about effective communication? Well, I
1: think, you know, being a a great nurse or a great physician means that you lead with your head and your heart. Mm. That's why they say the art and science, right? So I think that uh, not only did we really like come at it, like great grassroots organization with a lot of heart and a lot of really intelligent people, but we also really are evidence-based. And we looked at the literature and we looked at people doing research about what, what is alienating to people and what words we should be saying. And how to message it. And, you know, I think whenever you approach people, whether it's an individual patient or a community with the sort of wagging finger, this is what you should be doing, or, you know, you're so dumb, like no one's going to buy into that. That just makes them more. So we're really just about, um, you know, we want to give you the best message from our hearts with what we know and explain things that are confusing because things are confusing. And, um, and it's you know it's it's also a moving target now with this yeah. variant it's like are these vaccines going to work as well and we know they are offering some protection but maybe not as much but that's where the beauty of mRNA comes in that this can be tweaked to you know address the the newer variations so i think we're just really trying to do it and 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 what's great is since we've had such impact we're getting so many people to kind of come and speak so we had anthony fauci come speak with yeah. us last week and you know so we're having having people who are are really important and we're taking it kind of to the streets i've presented to all sorts of grassroots organizations community based organizations faith based organizations and i think we're just like we're here to support you and we'll come back and we'll talk more and more so we'll, we'll do what it takes and we have a great team. And you know, now the Public Goods Project has joined us. So it's almost like a snowball. We're just adding and adding and adding and you'd need a bigger, a bigger and bigger yeah. snowball to, to address what's going on right now.
0: No, 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 certainly the success that you guys have been able to achieve with This Is Our Shot is commendable and in many ways unique. And I would often say the ability to scale yet remain grassroots is part of your success. Can you talk to me about trust and how you're able to maintain grassroots levels trust yet scale to the level you guys have had?
1: Well, I think you know to a certain extent that was the kind of energy that the people who are involved in this organization have brought. Um, there are a few people out there um, who have been really tireless. They have full-time practices. They're engaged in research. They're working very hard and that they show up to these evening meetings and kind of like, you know, what's it's almost Valentine's Day. What can we do with the <laughs> Valentine's Day theme? Or, you know, it's going to be the Christmas and Hanukkah. How are we going to address that? So, you know, we, we have a little bit of fun. We really care about each other. And so I think, you know, I think just that we, we were giving the right message or the right messages at the right time. And, um, and we had the right people at the table too. So I know, you know, there's still quite a group of people who are vaccine hesitant and still a lot of people who are actually still refusing vaccines. And we just hope like if we are here giving the message and whoever can come to the table, whether it's the surgeon general, whoever joins us, we're delighted to have them. And I think they have, a. we also just, you know, we have joy in serving. And I think that's almost the core of it. Like you, we, we've gone into medicine because there's joy in service and we're, we're bringing that same sort of energy to this as our shot.
0: And that energy is certainly contagious. And I think that it's led to a lot of successes in places where most organizations or at least traditional healthcare organizations have not had. You'd mentioned vaccine hesitancy. It's something that has evolved over the course of the pandemic. From your perspective, really being in the trenches, talk to us about vaccine hesitancy in its early phases and what it has almost in certain ways evolved into at present.
1: Well, I think you know, whenever you know you get a pill, whenever you need a treatment, you should have a certain amount of hesitancy, you know, Mm. if you're going in for surgery. There's a risk with almost anything you do in the medical field. And I think it's natural and normal to be hesitant. And I actually applaud it. And I like a patient or a student who's really thoughtful and wants to go into the details and has questions. um, You know, that's important. I think one of the things that's happened is with electronic medical records, we have so little time with our patients that we often don't have time to have those really in-depth conversations. So when when people have concerns, you know, and they don't have enough time with their providers, that can be a problem. But I think what's happened is that that sort of normal hesitancy, which can kind of be a good thing, has actually been politicized. Mm. And it's been politicized by the right to be like, you can't trust the government. And you can't trust the government scientists. And you can't trust the doctors and nurses who believe the government scientists and this polarization in America and this kind of inability to communicate and have a thoughtful dialogue, agree to disagree, to listen with open heart and open ears and open mind is um, I think really heartbreaking in that it's really become this, you know, if you do this, you're a bad person. And if you do that, you're a bad person. So I think um, you know one of the things about this is that our shot is we're trying to reclaim the place of psychological safety, of true care, of good communication And, you know, the people who are extremely politicized and that politicization is about hesitancy. I don't know that we're ever going to to change those people's minds, but that is something that I've seen in America that truly breaks my heart. I feel like it's where our society is really fractured.
0: Yeah, certainly the polarization of the pandemic has revealed certain ugly scars of American society. And unfortunately, individuals like yourself face the brunt of it. But on the positive side, talking about certain wins that you've had, how have you been able to reclaim something that is truly medical in nature from the political sphere into the medical realm? How do you convince people to look at vaccines in a true original medical way and not this almost convenient, contrived political lens that people are trying to place?
1: Well, I think it's, you know, the people who are at the, this is our shot table. You know, these are doctors and pharmacists and nurses and dentists and, you know, people who are in practice, who are real, who are kind, who have a little fun and joy with it. And um, and we don't give a political message, even though what we're talking about, I am saying there is a political message to it. We're just like these are what we know and what we trust. And, mm. you know, if someone doesn't believe Biden or they don't believe Fauci, they might believe their personal doctor. And they might believe a doctor who reminds them of their personal doctor, and we've even used things like TikTok videos and you know and YouTube um, videos. So I think there's a certain amount of like where people are going anyway with kind of a trusted messenger. Um, you know, I, I had one um, former student um, who actually had her first shot, pregnant, and her second shot, nursing a baby, and wow. I think when you, and she's a woman of color. So I think when you see you know, a real person doing the things that you're concerned about, and they seem like a lovely and real person, that um, makes a more palatable message than, you know, a soundbite from the CDC. You know what I mean? It's just real.
0: Yeah, it's 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 personable, and I think this whole concept of individualizing vaccine choice is a strategy that you see quite effective across all the board. It's. Interesting how you mentioned early on, people were happy about the vaccine, but the moment the decision became individualized, the hesitancy came, but it also appears that to overcome vaccine hesitancy, you similarly applied this individualized framing on the decision-making. Is this a fair way to look at overcoming vaccine hesitancy? And can you give some examples about how you individualized this conversation?
1: Um, Well, you know, I I had one student, a former student of mine who was actually giving out vaccines, but was waiting for herself. And Mm -hmm. she called me up and she was like, Sharon, I gave a woman a vaccine. And then I put a dime on the spot with the vaccine and the dime stuck. So that means there's magnets in the vaccine and I don't want to take the vaccine. Mm And I was like, you know, why don't you hop on a Zoom call with me? Because I love my students and I particularly (laughs) care for this one. And I took my 12-year-old has one of those magnets and I took a dime and I was like, look, a dime is not a magnetic metal. So it didn't stick. And then I was like, but if you had a little diaphoresis, a little sweat on your skin. So I looked at the dime. I was like, look, it sticks, you know, and just getting that granular Um, Then she decided to get the vaccine Um, for in my clinical practice. You know, I have patients who are very disorganized, struggle with mental health issues and substance use and, you know, life circumstances. And I just have the vaccine at the ready. And I'm like, when you change your mind, it's right here. This is the same kind I got. And um, I'm happy to give it to you. And I've had a few people like come change their mind, come back. And, and then eventually they'll do it. And, and you know, we'll set it up right at the door as people are coming in and out. And, you know, I think one of, one of the things that we have to be mindful of is that we make the vaccines as easy to get as possible. And, you know, when you do a drive-through clinic and you have a bunch of your population that doesn't own a car, or if you make vaccine clinics Monday through Friday, nine to five, where, you know, people who work at grocery stores and Farms and factories will lose money to take time off. You know, you're putting barriers. So I think there are also ways of like, how can we remove the barriers? You know, because if you have hesitancy plus barrier, then you're not going to win. But if you have a little hesitancy, someone who will talk to you and accessibility, then you're going to win.
0: That's an important point because you look at hesitancy almost as though it's both a good thing and a bad thing. And that accepting it, helps to sway the hesitancy towards eventual acceptance. There's a certain time to it. You cannot force the decision-making. And for many who look at healthcare from an efficiency standpoint, want everything to be quicker, faster, cheaper, more efficient, that hesitancy play does not necessarily fit within that framework. Hesitancy, would you argue as almost something necessary? that it's an almost rate limiting step to this never ending quest towards healthcare efficiency as unrealistic as that may appear?
1: You know, that's a brilliant brilliant summation. And I think there is something about the way medicine is evolving that it almost wants to be like an assembly line Mm -hmm. and fast and check the boxes and get it done. But when you hear that you have cancer, or you're told that you have lupus, or you're like, here's a new experimental treatment, you as as the patient, and it would be the same for me as the patient, really wants to take some time and ask questions, you know, and figure stuff out. And you need to process new information, and change in lifestyle needs some processing. And, you know, the kind of big wins we want to make in medicine, like the lifestyle changes, the losing weight, the stopping smoking, the exercising, the stress reduction, those are not things that happen as part of a 15-minute visit where you're addressing other things too. And I remember once I was at the clinic, um, I worked at student health for a while and I saw this one student for 40 minutes and my boss came and he was like, you only had 15 minutes. Why did you spend 40 minutes? (laughs) And I said, where did you want me to cut him off when he was telling me he was drinking until he passed out or was thinking about suicide or was seeing blood in his stool when he went to the bathroom? Like what was the part I was supposed to pare down to 15 minutes? And I think that sort of, um, that sort of demand of trying to make it cost effective um, sometimes really makes patients lose and also makes the providers lose because we're frustrated that we can't spend enough time and make enough of a connection with our patients.
0: And I think it doesn't have to be diametrically opposite the concept of creating a connection and building an efficiency. I think this is our shot showed that if done the right way, they can be complementary. Have you ever explored applying the model to other conditions or other forms of healthcare communication?
1: You know it's great that you asked that question because um, I think that we've found so much joy in the connection we've had, the the team of this is our shot, and the power we're developing and the notoriety we're developing, and um, that we're kind of like, what's next? If it's not the pandemic, are there other, messages that we can address. And I truly think that a lot of what's happening in the world today requires a this is our shot sort of voice, whether you're looking at global warming, which has tremendous health effects, or you're looking at Black Lives Matter and this racial discrepancies in healthcare, I think that, you know, having the provider at the table, the trusted messenger is a really powerful, you know, vehicle. And we are talking about kind of what other things we can do? So stay tuned.
0: No, Certainly, it is something to watch. And what's interesting is so much of the success lies in effective communication. And to play devil's advocate, marketers in the traditional healthcare marketing field also seems to buy into this communication angle. At what point do you see communicating as representing the patient relative to influencing the patient in certain ways that may not be in their best interest? And I know it's kind of a hypothetical, but I'm kind of teasing out to get a sense of what you're thinking. Um, It's a brilliant,
1: brilliant question. And um, what I would say is that like everything, there's a good and bad side to, Mm -hmm. to all things. And I do think, you know, um, Communication is so key to healthcare, and I think we don't address it well enough. You know, the third leading cause of death, maybe fourth now with the pandemic, is is medical error, and that 80% of those medical errors come down to communication, especially at crucial junctures, you know, when a patient is being transferred from the emergency room up to ICU, from ICU to med-surg, that kind of way that you convey information is so key. In fact, um, uh, another place we've seen it is like in the foster care system, the communicating of a kid's medical needs from foster care, family to foster care, family falls through the cracks often with really dire circumstances. So I think in the healthcare field, we have to do a lot better on communication and there are certain tools I really love like empathic inquiry and motivational interviewing and you know, even just starting all our medical training with Psych 101 so we really know how to read body language and tone of voice because 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? So yes, I think communication is key to what we're doing at this is our shot. I think it's crucial to get better in the whole medical field. But is it something that the advertisement and the marketing world does? And, they and you know, when you hear about what happened with the um, Trump campaign, getting as granular as knowing what people's color they like, what font mm-hmm. they like, what images they like. Yes, it can be a tool of manipulation as well. But, you know, I really hope we never manipulate because we don't have this bottom line like you better get the shot or, you know, we'll never talk to okay. you again. We're like, OK, have the hesitancy. We're here here to answer more of your questions as they come up. So I think um, you know communication is part of our secret sauce, whether it's the training or how we tell people to have the conversations, uh, but it's true, it, it can be used for not so good as well. And hopefully we're only using it as good.
0: No, I certainly think that the proof is in the pudding with the success that Mrs. Shot has to test to how much good this has been doing. Often healthcare has been described as an experience and healthcare in its most fundamental form is an experience. From your perspective, what role does technology have in influencing the healthcare experience towards good patient behavior and good patient decision making?
1: Well, I think the world is changing so quickly. I read some report, I won't be able to cite it, but it was something that, you know, young adults and children are reading fewer books than they've ever read, but they're yeah. reading more words because they're yeah. constantly online and they're reading so many words. They're reading more than they've ever read. They're just not reading a book. So, um, and I definitely saw it with my students. They don't like the textbooks, but they'll spend hours Googling and watching YouTube videos to get the information that, that they used to be found in textbooks. So I think, you know, this is the world we live in. Um, you know, I certainly use social media um, sometimes I think it's a great thing. Sometimes I think it's terrible, but this is the fact of the world we're living in. And so we have to use the tools at hand. And would I rather sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk with someone? <laughs> yes, but I'm from that generation. But if, you know, I can put a YouTube video out there and I hear I'm a micro-influencer, great. And more people can see it and they can share it and more people can see it. You know, the point is I want the message to be heard and I want the message of, you know, trust and understanding of science and staying safe because, you know, we're losing way too many people, way too many people are dying. And so whatever little thing I can do using our new way of communication, I'm happy to do it.
0: Often people reflect on the pandemic creating a certain sense of numbness. And for you as an effective communicator, maintaining the importance of getting vaccinated, the importance of taking a vaccine seriously, it may seem easier to deal with hesitancy or almost negative emotions, but numbness seems like a uniquely difficult emotion to deal with. What are your thoughts on this pervasive numbness that seems to be growing day by day?
1: Well, I think you know, numbness is like an ego defense mechanism. I mm. think our, you know, biologically we're programmed when there's too much stress to like shut down in one way or another. You know, um, so I think that it is a normal thing to have happen, Um, but sadly, what sometimes happens to people is they're numb or they're not believing, and then it hits very close to home, and then it's very hard to be numb when it's affected your life. I mean, just last week, a colleague of mine lost four of her relatives, including her mother, including a 38-year-old cousin who they tried putting on ECMO, and all four died you know, by COVID. So you know, I think a lot of healthcare providers—it's not a luxury, you know—that we can engage in numbness because we really just see it all the time, either personally or professionally. Um, but I think that's why we're seeing the very high rates of depression, anxiety, suicidality, and you know, um, people leaving the field. I, I really hate burnout because I feel like we we've been pushed so, so far, but, you know, that there's been this mass exodus. We have seen terrible, you know, they're saying a nursing shortage. We have plenty of RNs, but RNs who are not willing to work in these conditions, and we're seeing it in, in nursing education, too, mass retirements, because it's just harder to teach on Zoom, scarier to take students to the hospital. So, um, you know, I think I think the the numbness that's happening is we've just been with us so long and our brains just have to, you know, compartmentalize for our sanity.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that, particularly given your experience as an academic nurse and somebody who's dealing with high-risk patients, many people often fail to see the patterns that come from unintended consequences, the patterns of treating patients with chronic pain and then those with substance use dependency, those who are vaccine hesitant, and then become pro-vaccine should something happen to them in their individual lives. Why is it that we as a society fail to see these patterns or these relationships when they appear so obvious to you, so up close when dealing with patients?
1: Boy, that you ask really good questions. Um, I want to take you out to coffee one of these days. <laughs> um, You know, I think that there's a lot of rationalization going on. I mean, Mm. I've seen it for a long time. It's like, oh, you know, you have diabetes. What are you eating? Oh, you have cancer. Do you smoke? Oh, you know, you're doing this bad stuff. So bad things happen to you. And I think it's a little, I don't know that you can work in the field of, in the medical field, unless you really just see that these tragedies that happen to people, you know, are sometimes just really random and really sad and maybe the best you can do is just provide comfort you know um so you know i feel like i lived through the you know the aids crisis i was sort of a new nurse at the start of the aids crisis Mm -hmm. and i grew up in greenwich village so i saw my neighborhood completely decimated um so in a way this doesn't feel brand new to me um and you know you take the oath to go and you know and help people you you choose this way so I'm constantly looking at the world I live in and the patient's experience they have. And how do we do better and the older I get and the wiser I get and certainly working on my doctorate made me really pull the camera lens back to look at system error. And Mm. to look at like ways we can make bigger changes so to do that you have to kind of look at the problems and then kind of say how can we fix it and. You know, T.S. Is, this Is Our Shot is really good at that. It's like, okay, here's the, the message, the disinformation message we're getting this week. What are we going to do about it? And, you know, I also think it helps to have a little bit of gallows humor or tumor humor mm-hmm. to like laugh at the dark things in the world. Um, non-nurses often are shocked at my sense of humor, but uh, um, my nursing friends really get it. So, you know, I, I just think we all have to look a little bit harder and try to look with more compassion.
0: And that's very interesting, this concept of looking and identifying healthcare as a system. If you were to kind of just take everything and just with a step back, look at it from a broad angle, what nuances, insights have you gleaned about human nature, communication and trust as a whole that kind of encapsulates your experience in the pandemic, as difficult as it may be to encapsulate that in just a few words?
1: Well, one of my favorite quotes by, you know, one one of our early um, nurse heroes um, who started the Settlement House movement was, um, nursing is love in action. Mm. So I think I have gone into nursing with love in my heart. When I became an educator, I realized I really loved my students. And then research shows that it's connection and community that really helps with students learning and students willing to like work hard and, and doing well. So I feel like, love, connection, community, you know, that's, that's what fills my engine, you know, whether it's my immediate biological family, whether it's the community I live in, whether it's, you know, the schools and the students I work with, whether it's my clinical practice. And now with this is our shot, I just want to bring in that sort of love and community and connection to fight the good fight, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, and, uh, and- hats off for everything that you've done individually throughout your career and what you're doing with This Is Our Shot. Uh, What I would like to do now uh, with the remaining time that we have is to really talk about This Is Our Shot. And for the listening audience who may not be aware of the tremendous success that you guys have had, can you talk a little bit about the key milestones This Is Our Shot has reached in the past year and what you guys do and most importantly, how people can get a hold of you should they be interested in supporting this initiative.
1: Oh, that's great. I mean, I think we, what we did is we just started with a handful of people. And a handful of people started just reaching out with every connection in our in our wheelhouse and then even stretching to people we weren't connected with, but maybe were in our field. And I think that there was a real energy for all people in the healthcare field. Like we want to do something. So when we first started This Is Our Shot, I got in touch with the American Nurses Association. I had been involved with my local chapter, but had never connected with the national chapter. And not only were they like, yes, sign us up, but they created their own um, vaccine hesitancy video, which is lovely, wow. and um, wrote This Is Our Shot on it. So, um, you know, I think there's been this almost like, it's, it's a real fervor of like wanting to, wanting to serve around the pandemic. So we just started to get bigger and bigger names, you know, joining the campaign, willing to be on webinars with us. We, you know, got more and more platforms. So we're on almost every kind of social media platform, you know, starting Facebook, the Instagram, you know, TikTok videos. And, you know, there are people who are very good at that and focus on that. And then we just do trainings all over the place where people, so we've been doing, um, you know, California Department of Public Health and, you know, community-based organizations. So we just keep on talking about how to message with your patients one-on-one. And so, you know, when we hit like 2 billion social media touches, it was almost incredible, but, I mean not a day goes by that I don't tag a video or use the hashtag and I was not much of a hashtag user prior to this so I think it was just just kind of keep keeping the energy going and keeping trying and then you know joining with bigger and bigger organizations so you know I don't know that I totally know the milestones and I think it would be really interesting to do a history, if someone was keeping track, maybe maybe some of the other folks know that better than I do. But it has been almost meteoric rise and just yeah. yes, keeps going, keeps going. And I think we've had a real impact on on influencing people's choices. And you know, like I say, i it's an honor to serve. So if this is a way I'm serving, you know, patients that I love, then I'm happy to do that. And the more people we keep safe in these incredibly challenging times and discouraging times you know, the better.
0: Sharon, your sincerity is a testament to your success. And in many ways, your humility is foundational to what This Is Our Shot is all about. Uh, This Is Our Shot is in no exaggeration, likely going to be a business case review to be studied for people generations down the line in terms of how to maintain trust, And communication while scaling at a very rapid pace. And I think every person involved with This Is Our Shot deserves all the accolades bestowed upon them. And so for the list, uh, yeah, please go ahead.
1: And I was just gonna say, you had asked earlier about how do you find us. So pick your favorite social media platform and just put in the search bar, hashtag This Is Our Shot. We actually also can go to This Is Our Shot, we have our own webpage. Um, And our Facebook page, Instagram is all very, very great. But, you know, I'm really honored. It feels like such a compliment to me, and to the work we've been doing that this, this will have like an impact going down the line. I mean, honestly, I think each one of us feels like if only one more person gets a vaccine, great. And you know, there's this Jewish saying, save one life, you save the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really gone beyond our wildest expectations. And, you know, that I got to sit on a webinar and chat with, uh, you know, Anthony Fauci, and I love Anthony Fauci. I have the little Anthony Fauci <laughs> finger puppet as kind of my inspiration to like keep doing it, um, no matter how bad the day has been. Um, you know, it's just, it's, I, I feel like I'm honored to, to be a part of this team and to do this work. And I'm glad it's gonna help inform because I think we've created something really special.
0: It's well-earned and it's well-deserved. So before we go, I want the listening audience to know the website is thisisourshot.info, T-H-I-S-I-S-O-U-R-S-H-O-T dot I-N-F-O. And I would encourage everybody to visit the website, see what this organization is all about and see what they have done to overcome vaccine hesitancy for so many people in this country and really now across the world. Uh, And so with that, Sharon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for discussing this amazing initiative with us. And we wish you all the success in 2022.
1: Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you and all the listeners and everyone stay safe. And if you haven't, go get your vaccine or get your booster. Okay.
0: Thank you. Will do. Bye-bye.